1: Welcome into the latest episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Whittingham. Now that you have found us, make sure that you hit the follow or subscribe button depending on the podcast app that you use. So you'll make sure to get all of the old episodes that we've done, a lot of which still hold up, and then every new episode as we post. As you know by now, we do three episodes per week. We're going to be talking to John Crotty, the new analyst for the Miami Heat Later this week, got a couple other Dolphins episodes planned also, including one with a Dolphins player. Also, check out all of the other podcasts in our network. We now have 13 total podcasts, a lot of featured stuff coming up this week. Um, The president of the Florida Panthers, Matt Caldwell, was on with Goldie on Ice, and that one just got released earlier today. But the focus this week, we've talked a lot of Dolphins, but the focus this week is the Canes. And it's not just Cam Underwood because we have a watch party planned for this Sunday in a place that we want to fill the the Big Al's Sports Cafe in Sunrise. But obviously, this is the game everybody's been looking forward to for a long time. I pulled it on Twitter the other day. What are you most looking forward to? Which opener, whether it's Kane's LSU or it's Dolphins Titans, and it was about 80% Kane So I think that's some of the Dolphins negativity that's coming in here. But it's also because there's a lot of positivity about where the Canes program is going so today we're going to talk to Cam Underwood you can find him at Underwood Sports he's the managing editor of the state of the U you can follow that at the state of the U want to start here with you with part one Cam is this in your view a make or break game for Miami season if they have playoff aspirations
2: absolutely I mean there is the chance that mathematically speaking that Miami could lose this game And then run the table, beat Clemson, be, you know, 12 and one heading to the playoff. That is potentially possible. But this program has been pointing towards this season for a couple few years now. You know, as soon as Al Golden was fired, there was a look to the future. And, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, 2016 is going to be the first year for Rick. So that's going to be better, but not, you know, playoff. 17, not really necessarily going to be there. But 2018, you start with the LSU game, you know, a, a marquee game, the only college football game going on Sunday night. So every eye that's watching college football is going to be tuned in to the University of Miami versus LSU. So, you know, it is kind of a make or break for like the casual fan, I'll call it, because, you know, other than maybe Miami, Florida State, You know, people in Nebraska are not going to tune into Miami, but they will be tuned in for this opener. So for like, you know, your casual fan, you know, oh, I watched one game and I saw what happened perspective. It is a make or break. Mathematically speaking, it's not a make or break, but Miami lost the last three games last year. And you're going to book in that to start this year with a loss to a talented, but pretty average kind of LSU team. I don't think that that would necessarily bode well, but if this team Were to lose Miami, that is, and then show some kind of super resiliency, this could be overcome. But especially with people thinking that you know Ed Orgeron might get fired because LSU might only win five games, a loss in the opener would probably not be a great thing for Miami's championship or even you know playoff aspirations.
3: Yeah, there's no question, and and there's a lot of I kind of want to sink into there. And the first is. I agree with you. Unless this ends up becoming a Georgia Notre Dame last year, where when they played Week Two of last year, it was a one point game. Georgia won twenty to nineteen, and the teams at the time were ranked fifteen and twenty four. And then by about Week Ten, they were you know both in the top five as you know these incredible teams that everyone thought a lot of. Then you're not going to have that same cachet. For Miami in losing this game, but in terms of that relevance, I don't think you can you can overstate it from multiple perspectives because they played big national stage games and didn't just win them but won them convincingly. I think it really reached outside of the hardcore Canes fans that have been there during the Golden and the Shannon years when it's been lean and Miami hasn't been the you Nationally or really locally relevant when you consider attendance and when you consider their part in the sports conversation down here in Miami. And then nationally, you're absolutely right. You think of this Sunday night game, it's made stars in, in, in the last few years. Sometimes even in a bogus fashion, you remember Texas winning that shootout, I think it was against Notre Dame a couple of years years ago and everyone I think Joe Tessitore even said it with the winning touchdown in overtime Texas is back everybody and then I think they went like seven and five that 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 season and it didn't end up being that way but the void that is left between the end of the NFL preseason the start of the NFL regular season you get that Sunday all to yourself it's ABC it's a primetime game it's in Dallas it is the One of the showcase games of that weekend, and it's a standalone game, it has the opportunity to make Miami a star on a relevance basis. So while they could win their next 12 games after losing this one and still have a shot to make the playoff, First off, you give yourself no margin for error, but second, you just lose that steam that you've built over the last year in going 10 and 0, and then finish the season poorly. But everyone believing, you know, based off the fact that they're ranked preseason number eight, everyone believing that this team has a chance to be legitimately competitive going in, going into this season.
2: No, and I agree with that, you know, completely. This is a first impression game, you know, for a lot of people. And, you know, you only get that one chance to make a first impression. You don't get a second chance. So, you know, again, Joe Schmo, you know, random, uh, you know, college football fan who likes his local team, you know, from Idaho maybe or something. And he's, oh, you know, whatever. It's a national game. It's on that night. You know, they're not going to turn another eye to Miami. They're not going to turn another eye to LSU this year. You know, well, LSU, you know, they might be on the CBS game, um, the the showcase, you know, SEC game. So they might get that. But like unless Miami gets another game day game, you know, another, you know, 8 p.m. Sunday night or Saturday night primetime game. This is the one chance you have to impress people, you know, like to leave a mark in the minds of people across the country. Now, I mean, like I'm a Miami alum, like I run a Miami website, you know, like I'm going to be there. Rain or shine, thick and thin. You know, ever since I enrolled in Miami in 2000, I've watched pretty much every game if I haven't been at the games myself. So like, they're not necessarily playing for me. If you have aspirations as a team for the college football playoff, you need to build a narrative. And I know, Chris, when I was on your radio show before, you kind of goaded me into saying something that I had had in a personal conversation. But, you know, Malik Rogier on the numbers, on the numbers, on the numbers, on the numbers could potentially... Be in the conversation for a Heisman trophy if he progresses with, you know, 10 or 15 percent increase on touchdowns, yards, you know, lessens his interceptions, increases his completion rate, those kind of things. But that trophy, along with the college football playoff conversation, is a narrative discussion. So you have to show up in these narrative games. Santana Moss said it himself in 2000 when Miami finally beat Florida State. Big time players make big time plays in big time games. This is a big time game. Even again, if LSU, while they're very talented, most people do not think them to be a top team. The team has to take advantage of this moment to create that narrative because most people remember, and like you you said previously, When Miami blew out Virginia Tech, and that game was not as close as the score even indicated, that was a moment. The next week against Notre Dame, that was like the rebirth. That is when Hard Rock Stadium rocked in a way that was like the old Orange Bowl did. I mean, that was the moment. So everybody who saw that, because the casual person's probably going to watch that. You know, you've watched your own team, you're hanging out, you're having some beers, you're having some food, your game is probably over already. Oh, let's see what this national game is about. And you see Miami whooping ass. And it was awesome. This is an opportunity to do that. Now, I'm not saying that Miami is going to win 41 to eight against LSU, but a solid game with a big win is what the team really needs to move forward. You know, in a if we're talking about contending for the college football playoff, I think that's really what it is. I think that, you know, I don't know if you're going to ask me later, but I mean, Miami should win the Coastal because we're the most talented team. I think that, you know, other games are going to be, you know, maybe a little bit tightly contested. But yeah, no, Miami has to really take advantage of this great opportunity that's been cultivated for them
1: we always talk about the order that the Canes won their games last year. And, and I've made the case a little bit the other way that the way that it happened for Miami was actually good for narrative, because if you go 10 and three, but say you start seven and two, nobody's paying attention to your program. But when you start 10 and zero, and then yes, they lost the last three and didn't look good, really didn't look good in two of them against better competition. But I think, you at least saw what the potential of the program was and you built a buzz over those 10 weeks. So to me, what this first game is about is just rebuilding the buzz. I think if you beat LSU handily, it goes right back to where it was when you were 10-0 and last season. And I think people start to say, oh, the Canes are back, even if LSU is not that good this year. And I was just looking it up. I mean, all SEC before the season, they only had one offensive player named and that was a guard so we're not is talking he suspended,
2: about by the way i'm sorry to cut you off uh,
1: yeah i think he has been actually so so basically you're looking at no all sec players on offense they had a couple on defense so this is not a typically talented lsu team but i think for at least that one week you'll get kind of that sugar high of beating a team that has been a traditional power even if they're not Up this year. All right, let's move on to part two here. And we talk about those games at the end of the season, but particularly the Clemson game. And what was distressing about the Clemson game, Cam, was that it wasn't quite as bad as the Clemson game that ultimately got Golden fired. But the talent disparity was still there, not quite to that degree. And the coaching disparity wasn't what it was when Golden was here, but they got physically manhandled. And I guess the question here for you, Cam, is do you think they're in position this year for that not to happen against some of those teams?
2: I mean, Miami has dudes on their roster. I mean, there's, I think, you know, Bud Elliott, my colleague with SB Nation, he coined the term, you know, the blue chip ratio of having more than 50% Four and five star recruits on your roster. Miami's at like 47.5% right now, or 46% because transfers don't count. So Gerald Willis, who's a five star recruit, doesn't count on that ratio. So there's plenty of guys, even guys who were, you know, three stars like a Mike Pinckney, who would play in anybody's defense across America. If you're talking about a Gregory Russo, there should be no question about the level of talent. So, you know, looking specifically at Clemson, which I understand should be the the measuring stick, because like I said, Miami should consistently, if not perennially, win the coastal division. So we got to look, you know, across the way and say, OK, cool. If we're going to win an ACC championship for the first time since the you know program is transitioned over to the conference, that's who we're going to have to be. It's going to be tough. Honestly, Clemson is in a unique place where they recruit at a ridiculous re- Ridiculously elite level. They're getting close to Alabama numbers on blue chip ratio. I think they're like 70, 75% of their roster was four-star and five-star guys. Not only that, they don't leave. So like they had first-round NFL draft picks on the defensive line who came back to school. They have two five-star kids from the last recruiting class who are playing third-team defensive line because they're – team is that stacked at Clemson so you have that they're recruiting really well nobody leaves and their player progression is ridiculous I mean they don't miss on any recruits there are no you know we've talked about okay well you know Kyle Wright was a top 10 recruit for Miami when he came over from California He was the number one quarterback in America he definitely did not live up to that recruiting ranking things like that that doesn't happen at Clemson either Like they get those guys in, they progress them and they play to an elite level. So Miami does have a a daunting task in front of them, you know, pending, obviously getting to the Clemson game. But, you know, I think that honestly, I think a scheme update on defense is really what needs to happen because on offense, Miami had shots. Like I remember on that, I think Miami was down seven, nothing. And they ran that play action pass and Jeff Thomas was butt naked wide open doing backflips and cartwheels. And Malik Rozier missed him. And that would have been 7-7 right there earlier in the game. I'm not saying Miami would have won, but I'm saying that would have changed the whole tenor of the game as opposed to you go three and out, punt it back to them. They're up 14-0, and then, you know, things kind of fall off the rails. So that ACC championship game should not have been that lopsided. And I think that was on the defense somehow. I mean, and not, you know, excusing the offense either. Malik Rosier missed Jeff Thomas when he's butt naked doing cartwheels and backflips, you know, down the field on a play action pass, but you know, these things happen.
3: Yeah, and, and and injuries play a role no doubt from an offensive point of view, but for me, the the thing that I'm concerned about going into this LSU game with is yes, Miami is now starting to recruit at a blue chip level, but the thing about LSU is they're always viewed as a dormant program and while It could be five wins this year. They could figure it out and all of a sudden be 10-11 wins because they also recruit at a very high level. There was a three-year period where they're in the top three on average in recruiting. I think it was from 2014 to 2016, if I'm not mistaken. I was reading in a preview there. So they also recruit at a very high level. And my concern is particularly with the size and speed that they always have on defense that they could potentially come out and... Win the game in warm-ups is, is something that I've heard Lane Kiffin talk about. That Alabama won 10 of the 14 games they play in the season they go to the national championship before the game even began because they're just bigger, stronger, faster, and you can tell just by looking at the two teams on the field. And that's what it kind of felt like early in the game against Clemson. And I do have like a slight bit of concern that that could happen to Miami in this game in Dallas on Sunday night. So I hope it's not the case, but there is an outside fear for me that Miami is still a year or two away from looking like the big championship contending team in size and strength and the athletes that are on the field like they did when they were rolling in the early 2000s and the 80s and 90s where they were the Alabama. They were the team that won the game before it even began. I don't know if they're at that level yet.
2: Well, see, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dispute that because Miami's never been quote-unquote Alabama-sized. You know, mm-hmm. like, you okay, you had Bryant McKinney. Look at the rest of that line. You know, Chris Myers, Brett Romberg, Shirky, Haji Razuli. Okay, he was, you know, 6'3", 340. So, I mean, he was very stout. Vernon Carey, yeah. But, like, I mean, that team was not massive. You know, when you think about Alabama size, you think about, you know, defensive tackles who are 6'5", 340, and they got 10 of them. They have these quick defensive ends who are all, you know, 6'4", 235, maybe 250, and they're quick. But they're linebackers at Alabama. Are 6'4, 250. You know what I'm saying? They have Derrick Henry at you know 6'4, two, I don't even know, 245, 250, 260, playing running back. That's quote the quote unquote Alabama size. Miami's not that. Miami's never been that, except for like a couple different dudes. Even Vince Wilford, though, you know, portly, you know, as he was, he's only 6'1, 6'2. So he's not this gigantic behemoth of a man. And I don't think Miami should ever be that. Miami needs to be, you know tenacious yes but they need to be fast you know they need to play fast on offense and on defense that's what this recruiting base the player the talent base locally that's who they're going to get they're going to get guys who are a little bit smaller but they're going to be faster you know you get a trajan bandy like that you get a denzel perryman yeah he's six feet tall, wink, 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 in cleats, and, you know, 235. But I mean, he, he wasn't that Jermaine Grace, you know, all American linebacker at Miramar, he's 6'1", 180 pounds coming out of high school. But those are the guys who are going to be there. So yeah, I mean, if you're, if people are looking at Miami's team and saying, look, they need to be a Wisconsin-sized offensive line where everybody averages six-five and a 355, that's just not going to happen. And that's okay. But the thing is, You cannot have such a dearth of talent and athleticism where you cannot in your way with your scheme overcome those kind of things. We'll get
1: back to our episode with Cam here in a second. But if you're a Canes fan and you're not making the trip to Dallas, you need to make the trip to Sunrise. We're going to be at the Uncle Al's Cafe in Sunrise. This is the new Uncle Al's location. It's on the corner of Knob Hill, and Sunrise Boulevard in the Doris Italian Market Shopping Center. It's actually where the old Hurricane Wings used to be, so that is appropriate. Not only will we have the game on, will we have food specials Will we have beer buckets for 13 bucks courtesy of uncle al's but also we're going to have orange and green drink specials and our new sponsor seltzer mayburg law firm is going to be giving away a 50 inch television so come join us anytime after about six we'll be there all night we're going to fill the place up we're going to watch the canes win and now back to cam all right, well, let's take a look at the offensive philosophy here because I think there was a lot of talk about this. We'll get to this here in part three. There was a lot of conversation when Richt came in about what kind of an offense he was going to run. And what I want to throw at you here, Cam, is you know they lost Braxton Berrios. And, and I felt like in a lot of ways he was kind of the release valve. For this offense like they got plays out of other guys obviously Langham made a couple of plays at the end of the game that were huge Jeff Thomas blowing the top off the defense but Berrios was the guy that they could trust most often they don't have him anymore they've got a healthier Amon Richards which certainly is going to help but if I was to say to you what is this offense going to look like and what is the offense that Rick needs to run so that this team has more sustained success than they had last season
2: What he's going to run and what I think he needs to run are two very different things, and that's just kind of part and parcel of him being Mark Richt. Mark Richt wants to run a pro kind of offense, a pro-style kind of offense. It's mixing pro and spread, but I said on a different radio show, I want to say, that the spread elements are really on spacing, and that would be, you know, if you have, you know, you go shotgun with 11 personnel that's one back, and one tight end and three wide receivers. One wide receiver is going to be, you know, each wide receiver on the outside are going to be outside the numbers. So you're going to stress the defense laterally by alignment. So that's going to be it. But even in that formation, you're really going to run pro-style stuff. You're going to run inside zone. You're going to run zone read. You're going to run power. You know, you're going to run off
0: tackle. Sick of being upsold at gyms.
2: You know, the buck sweep, I know, was a thing that one of our writers, who's a, a football coach, and he wrote as an X's and O's piece last year. So, those kind of things are going to be there. Miami is not going to run the spread at tempo because Miami only ran more than 68 plays four times last year. So, if you're thinking, oh, it's like a spread, so Cam says spread, so we should be up tempo. No, 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 no. Spread by alignment, not by tempo. So, that's going to be it. And, you know, the thing was last year, Miami ran a lot of like the bubble screen package and some other things to kind of compensate for only having uh, one tight end, really, with Christopher Herndon and uh, no fullbacks on the roster. Now you have Brevin Jordan and Will Mallory, two freshman superstars who are going to step in at the tight end position. But also you have Treyon Gray moving over to fullback where he's going to see some time. And then you have the nation's number one fullback recruit, Realist George, on the roster as well. So what does that tell you? That tells you that Mark Rick now has the kind of personnel like he had at Georgia where he can line up and run I formation, which is a thing that he was not able to do recently. So, yeah, he's going to uh, do that kind of a thing. And so there's going to be, you know, kind of a hybrid pro spread type thing. Yeah, you know, I I would like to see some updates to the route uh, combinations that Miami runs in certain passing, you know, situations like third downs, especially. But yeah, you know, Mark Rick always wants to run the ball. He wants to impose his will physically. His teams at Georgia were able to do that, but obviously that's because of, you know, the offense line. So hopefully that will progress here. But yeah, no, there's going to be a heavy dose of the run, you know, two back sets. And then when we go shotgun, which is going to be a lot because, you know, Malik Rozier can run the ball and he likes operating out of the shotgun, you know, set. That's going to happen, but it's going to spread you out by alignment, not necessarily by tempo or play design, like, you know, uh, any kind of spread that you're thinking of, like, a you know, Oklahoma. Baylor FAU you know things like that it's not going to be that same exact kind of thing but it'll look a little bit like that on the surface level to people tuning in.
3: this question is the biggest question for me ahead of this UM season is how are they going to play because Mark Richt has uh, two years worth of play at Miami where I think he he didn't like having Brad Kaya um, a quarterback who couldn't really run very much and he was having him do RPO type stuff having him fake handoffs and basically Act as if he would run when he was never a threat to run. And it seemed like he brought in Nikosi Perry and Jaron Williams, at least in part, because they could run. And I'm genuinely curious with bringing in a fullback, like you mentioned, moving Trey on on Gray to fullback, having some new tight ends, and the way that the end of last season played out, where they weren't necessarily physical enough, they move a guard to tackle in Devon Donaldson. If they're going to change course and be a little bit more like the Mark Rick we had over 15 years worth of evidence at Georgia. And so I don't know what ultimately Mark Rick wants because it seemed like for the first two years of Miami that he was going to change, that he, unlike most football coaches and particularly football coaches with the experience that he has, was going to change his stripes and become a different kind of coach. I genuinely wonder if that will happen this year. I don't know what the plan of attack will be going into this game against LSU, against their size and speed of defense. And I'm genuinely curious to find out.
2: That is a, a very good point about, you know, him, him changing Mark Richt uh, as a play caller because, I, you know, he has changed a little bit. And I thought that we saw some development throughout the year, obviously putting D.J. Dallas in the Wildcat, you know, doing a couple different things, you know, with Jeff Thomas when Amon Richards was out. We'll see some things, but Miami does not have the ability or go with the vanilla offense for four games to start the year like normally would happen. You have to open up the playbook from now so if you look uh at you know the ACC championship game and even the bowl game against Wisconsin some of the most impactful plays were different wrinkles per se like when DJ Dallas was in the wildcat that was the only thing really that worked against Clemson and it worked very well I think we got you know 40 yards and two plays and then they called timeout and you know adjusted to that um so yeah you know these things but yeah I, I want to see some of these other things and the thing about it is Miami I would love it and I've said this for years and I'm, I've said it on the site, I've said it on Twitter, I've, I've written it, I've said it on podcasts and blogs and everywhere. I would love if Miami went at a presto tempo um, as fast as you can, you know, like breakneck speed, you know, like as soon as the ball is set, boom, okay, they, they move out of the way, we're snapping it and going. I would love to see that 10 plays a game. I don't even need it a lot, you know? I mean, so, yeah, if Miami runs 70 plays, that's 14% of your snaps are run at tempo because Miami has the athletes, I mean, people cannot run with us. If you look at that, that game against Wisconsin, when Miami went fast and went even like half tempo, like not even not slow tempo, but like halfway towards being a fast tempo, man, Wisconsin couldn't run with us. Look back to the Russell Athletic Bowl against West Virginia. They can't run with us. There's very few teams who have the athleticism at the skill positions that Miami has. So if you now take 10 plays a game and you run them at an increased tempo as in the time between snaps, now you're stressing the defense because they got to figure out what's going on with those guys to, you know, or what's going on with the offense to get set and everything. And now Miami's talent can take over. So I hope that that is a wrinkle that we see in addition to some of these other things. And, I, you know, I just want to, I don't want it to be vanilla because when Mark Rick is vanilla with it, you really need perfect execution from everybody to be very boring and successful at the same time. I don't know that we're going to have perfect execution all the time. So now if we do some of these different kind of scheme things to try to make it easier for our talented skill players to take advantage of the defense, then please, please do that.
1: All right, Cam, let's look to the other side of the ball, though, uh, because as we're taping this today, and it may air a little bit later in the week, LSU has decided on a quarterback. So this was kind of a closely held secret for a period of time. They've decided on the Ohio State transfer, Joe Burrow. So I was just curious what you think of this. Um, You know, Ohio State obviously has produced a lot of quarterbacks over the years and some who have not gotten an opportunity to play. I was reading up some about what they were saying in Baton Rouge, and they're saying basically just don't screw it up. Um, As long as he doesn't make major mistakes, they'll be okay. But what's your view of him, and what's your view of Miami's approach to him in this game?
2: You know, I think that Miami thought that Burrow was going to start from the moment that he announced his transfer, it was always the intent that you know he was going. Burrow was going to transfer there to start. So I don't think that Miami is surprised in any way. Uh, I thought that Burrow was going to start for many many weeks. We even wrote it. One of our contributors, John Camera, on State of the U, he wrote a piece taking some clips of you know Joe Burrow having played in one game last year in the spring game at Ohio State for what to expect. So uh, go check that out on StateoftheU.com, by the way. But yeah, I think that Burrow does have some talent. I don't think that he's a real threat in the zone read game. He's maybe a step slower than Malik Rogier. So I mean he could avoid people, but he's not really going to gain 20 or 30 yards in the run game. He's mobile in and around the pocket. So he and he's slippery. So don't think that he's just going to be a statue there if somebody's running clean or gets past uh, LSU's offensive line clean. They're going to, you know, have to probably deal with, you know, him moving around a little bit before they can get him on the ground. Has a nice arm decent at um reading defenses obviously not you know the best uh or anything uh, otherwise he probably would have still been at Ohio State you know to play but yeah I think that you know going back to the original or a or previous conversation that we had LSU has a lot of talent you know Jonathan Giles comes over a wide receiver from texas tech they got a couple five-star guys and Terrace marshall and jamar chase chase is going to start for them uh in this first game and both of those guys are five-star talents who were like elite i remember watching them as recruits for the last couple of years because i believe miami offered both chase and marshall let me tell you now those boys can play like they got at elites at wide receiver running back they have less talent than before Obviously losing a Fournette and a Geis, you're not gonna have a guy of that caliber behind them. So the running game is really gonna have to lean on the offensive line, doing well to help out Joe Burrow. But yeah, I think that he can be decent, you know, maybe sixty percent completions and whatnot, but Joe Burrow doesn't frighten me or anything. It's not like, oh man, we got to go up against, you know, prime Marcus Mariota or 2013 James Winston or, you know, something like that. I think that he's a good player. I think that he can make some plays, but he also has very limited game experience. And I think that Miami can take advantage of that. And yeah, you know, LSU is going to try to do the whole game manager thing with him. You know, if he's able to break a play, you know, a a broken play and take it, you know, turn it into a touchdown. Great. But they're not really going to put that much on him. On his shoulders, I don't think to you know sit out there and, and throw it forty times. But the counterpoint of that is, and if you remember, like I said, Miami gave up all kinds of completions to opposing quarterbacks last year and made some very average dudes look very, very good. I mean, Ben Kurt Benkert looked like the number one overall draft pick in that first half against Miami. I think he was eighteen for eighteen before he missed. He a was pass so good or in that like that game. He was ridiculously good. And I've watched Virginia football because you know Raycom Sports and you know waiting for a Canes game to come on later. There is no reason that Kurt Benkert should have looked like that at all, but especially not against Miami. So yeah, you know, like if Miami has another one of those games and they turn Joe Burrow into Kurt Benkert, who was the second coming of, you know, whatever amazing college quarterback you want to see, that could be a problem. So, and I think that that would be more on Miami's defense than on Joe Burrow per se, but anybody can get hot. And I know that, you know, Miami fans, myself included, I am not a big Malik Rozier fan, although I know that, Mark is going to start him, so I got to have faith in him now. Look, Malik Rogier can get really hot and damage people. And you're talking about a guy who hit 54% of his passes, 41% of his passes in the last three games. What's to say that Joe Burrow doesn't get hot like Kurt Benkert did? You know what I'm saying? So I don't think that he's a great, great player, but you know – Respect all opponents and fear none. So I have to respect him that he's going to be the starting quarterback. That just means now on the other side of the ball, Miami's defense really has to step up and, you know, get in his way and step on his neck and not let him get into a zone, you know, in the offense. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, get LSU's offense off the field, get the ball back to Miami's offense, and then we can do some things.
3: Yeah. The thing for me about this decision is. He joined LSU after spring practice. And so he's not going to have had a ton of time working with his teammates or working in the new offense, and there are going to be bumps. And so the thing that LSU has done in times previous has been – running the ball and when they've struggled in these kinds of situations they just turn to we're going to hand the ball off a million times and like you said Cam they don't bring back a running back that has a real pedigree like LSU always has whether it's Jeremy Hill or Fournette or Geis they've had so many amazing running backs over the years they don't really have that guy who we know of yet so for me it really does sort of highlight the fact that they absolutely need to stop the run in this game the Miami defense does Ethan. Josh Darrow here, host of the Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a cane sting on the Five Reasons Sports Network. What are we about? Pretty easy. I want to tell stories, and I want to share the journey for the players and coaches, past and present, affiliated with the University of Miami. Take Manny Diaz. He grew up in Miami. He grew up going to the Orange Bowl. It was, you know, it was all those 1980s teams. You know, that that's where it all started for me, and just just the style of play and. And really, it was. It really took hold when Jimmy Johnson was here, you know, sitting there in the Orange Bowl in 86 when we were whipping Oklahoma. And just, you know what I mean? Just, just
1: speed
3: and then violence. You know what I mean? It, it, you know, we're not only, you know, you know Nebraska it was a changing of college football. It's those kind of memories we want to share with you. Listen, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate the support. The Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a Cane's thing. And we're always part of the five reasons sports network.
1: All right. So let's go to the fifth part of this. We appreciate cam Underwood joining us today at Underwood sports. You can follow him obviously state of the Another place to get him. So let's just make it simple here. Cam, um, the world's watching at least for one night. Uh, we have our big watch party over at uncle Al's cafe in sunrise. This is the kickoff game to the season kind of sets the tone for everything. Not an elite LSU team. How's this one going to go?
2: I think that both teams are stronger on defense than offense. Although I definitely think that Miami's offense is stronger than LSU's. There's, you know, maybe a little bit of just of a question with Miami's kicking game in that, you know, all time leading scorer. Michael Badgley has graduated and there's a true freshman, Bubba Baxa, who's from Texas, by the way. So I'm sure he'll have plenty of family and friends there at the game. Uh, steps in as the starting kicker. Um So, you know, I mean, things like that. But, you know, overall, I just think that Miami is a better team. I think that our coaching staff is better than LSU's. And like I said before, if Miami doesn't have a chip on their shoulder going into this game, wanting to show and prove that the end of last season was the aberration, not the rule. If they don't have that desire to be great and shut everybody up, then I don't know why they're on scholarship. Like, why do you play the game? Like, this is what you are supposed to get up for. This is why you, this is why you strap it on. This is why you put on a helmet and shoulder pads and all these kind of things. So I think that through the course of time in the game, I think that Miami's uh, ability to find some room against LSU secondary is going to be the big key. And I just think that, you know, maybe a turnover will tell the difference, but uh, give me Miami by a touchdown.
3: I admire the confidence, but yeah, I, I I think that Miami going into this game is in a position to really go on and set themselves up for a good run before that FSU game and get this whole town excited and it's such a real opportunity the real thing for me is is that both teams offenses are a complete wild card and so you really can't have for me a real conviction about this game and that's kind of the cool thing about college football not having a preseason we've talked about this on the pod before but the cool thing about college football not having a preseason is that you can be really surprised on the opening day, and I think we will be by something we'll see in this game. I have a slight confidence that that Miami is going to win. I think it'll be a close game either way, but I think LSU is a sleeping giant, and I don't think this coaching staff is the coaching staff to do it. But if they do, then Miami is going to have real problems winning this game, because I just think that there is such strength in their recruiting and in that talent base that they have in Louisiana that any year they can just decide,
1: all right, we're going to be 11 and one this year, and if this is the year that they figure that out, then I think Miami's in real trouble. But here's my thing about that, Chris. Um, you know obviously, look, it's been a factory there for a long time. But when you look at them on paper this year and you look at them in previous seasons, it does not seem to quite be there. And, and my thing is, if Miami is going to be considered an elite program again, you have to beat a slightly above middle of the pack SEC team. Um, you just ha- you have to win this game. And, and even if it's not in Miami and the other thing, you know, look, they lost the last three this year, but they have their quarterback back. They've got their top receiver back. Their running back who had to take over during the season last year. Homer now has basically an entire off season to develop as the number one guy. They've added a ton of talent at tight end. We talked about that with Josh Darrow. At least one of those guys will probably emerge, if not both. And then you look at what they return on defense. There's plenty still there. So, you know, and the coaching staff. I mean, you've got another year with Diaz and Rick and the whole group that they have there. Uh, this is a game that I think you have to win. And, and like we talk about narrative. Narrative is so big in college football. It affects everything. It affects the players you can recruit. It affects where you are in the polls. Uh, It affects where you're sort of put on television, which then helps you recruit more players. They can't afford to lose this game. I'm going to say Miami uh, by 10. I think they win it relatively convincingly. And then, you know, I'm with Cam here. They're going to win the Coastal. The question for me is, how far away are they from Clemson? Is this a gap that you can make up in just one year? I'm not sure that you can do that, but... To me, they will get at least as far as they did last season with what they had returning.
2: Everything that you guys said, I just I agree with. You know, and th- yeah, like you said, this is a showcase game. This is a narrative game. This is you know for this season at least. This is a legacy game. You know, are you going to be in the the talk uh, of the elites or are you not? I mean, you come in ranked eighth against a team that's borderline twenty fifth uh, and could easily be unranked. Like you said, to be to be where Miami wants to be. have to beat an average LSU middle of the pack SEC team so yeah you know I'm flying out to Dallas this week um my mom lives out there hey mom how you doing um so I'll see her uh and and be there for the game but yeah I, I I agree with Ethan Miami really does need to win this game sure could we rebound from that yeah but I don't want to talk about rebounds I want to talk about buckets let's get them
1: And so, since you're going to be in Dallas and Whittingham's going to be in Dallas, I'm going to be at this watch party. So, both of you, this includes you, Cam, because I know what your audience is like and it's much bigger than ours right now in terms of the passion that uh, the people are following you with. Get people out to our watch party. If you can't go to the game in Dallas, we will be at Uncle Al's in Sunrise. We're going to have all kinds of drink specials, food specials. Uh, we're giving away a television cam. So, Ooh. you know, we, we can put you in a raffle for that too. Giving away a TV. We're going to be watching the game all night. It's going to be a big, big crowd there. So we're looking forward to it. Because, like, Thank we're you. not looking forward quite as much to Dolphins Titans as we are. <laughs> cam Underwood, follow him at Underwood Sports. Also, read his work and all the great work they do at State of the U. Also, check out our Canes podcast, Five Rings Canes. Josh Darrow had Alonzo Highsmith on last week. I know who he taped with, and you're going to want to hear that. It's one of the all-time great quarterbacks in Canes history. That's going to be coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So looking forward to a good season for the Canes, because surely with the state of our pro teams down here, we need it.
2: Hey, I'm Josh Appel. And I'm Billy O'Rourke. And we are the hosts of Five Reasons Sports Network's pro wrestling
0: podcast, Spark Your Territory, where we bring you the hard hitting Well, no, Well,
2: not, no, we don't want to, it's not too hard hitting because you don't want to hurt the other guy. It's more of a dance we're trying to do here. We're trying to keep it. Protect, protect the other guy. Yeah, you want to protect okay, the other So guy. maybe we'll go more in
0: depth. Yeah, that's good. That's better.
2: Spark Your Territory, Five Reasons Sports Network's pro wrestling podcast, with the most in depth wrestling talk
0: you'll find. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.